And then they came out with Lemon Monkey, which is the Japanese sweet treat. And I was like, well, shows what I know. It just shows that people love judging millennials. They literally love it. And meanwhile, we're geniuses. And everyone who's older or, like, of an older generation than millennials were exactly like millennials at one point. Everybody's Uh, the same all the time, always. Like, no one's unique. No one's different. We're all exactly the same. My favorite is when people complain about people our age being on on their, like, devices. And then you, like, see anyone, literally of any age, on, like, public transportation or whatever. Everyone's on their phone. Yeah. Honestly. Not just us. Oh, it's so much. I want to be like, really, why is it that the image I have of, like, every adult from when I was a baby is, like, sitting in front of the TV, like, hands in their pants, like, watching the game. Like, bitch, that's a device, too. Like, yeah, nothing's bitch. that different. Like, people Fucking are so bitch. stupid. They see something that looks a little different, and they assume it's, like, night and day. And it's, like, it's really just, like, night and later that night. Like, everything's the same. Yeah. Don't, don't play me. Don't bitch. play me, bitch. The yeah. next time an old person is like, young people need to really look up at the stars more. And really, I'm going to be like, shut it, bitch. I'll look at the stars when I want to. They're like, well, I just think that there's nothing like the night shut sky it, and the sound of a... Cr- shut up, bitch. Okay. That's like what I'm... Do you want to hear my yeah. impression of um an old Southern woman? Yes! So badly. This is my impression of every old Southern woman. I didn't have a pot to piss in or a piece of bread to put it on. <laughs> Thoughts? Why is your random Southern lady also your Nancy Grace impression? <laughs> you tell me. You tell me why they're one and the same. Because people are the same everywhere. Yeah. I don't have a pot to piss in <laughs> or a piece of bread to put it on. Oh. Ain't that the truth? Yesterday, Claire and I were going to see The Glass Menagerie with Sally Field. Um, written by Tennessee Williams. And I realized I did not know what it was about. Um, but I could kind of guess, just because it's by Tennessee Williams, that it was about like a troubled woman <laughs> like a okay. troubled devastated southern woman call yeah. it a hunch um and claire and i accidentally got very very crossfaded before seeing the glass menagerie Jesus. like we literally were like let's have a drink and then realized we were running late so we like chugged a huge two-shot Mos- moscow mule and like randomly were like just taking a light puff of a joint i'll admit it there was a little marijuana intake listeners um but because we were panicked we like literally sucked up the whole joint like like oh god like immediately and then we were on the train just like dead like we were like robot drone we were like what's going on (laughs) on our way to the glass menagerie like literally like a play on broadway by tennessee williams and we looked like we were going to like edc um, and on the way there, I was like, I really don't know what this movie is about. And Claire's like, I don't think I do either. And that's when I was like, I feel like it's like, I never had a pot to piss in. And realized I was screaming it on a train full of quiet people who were, you guessed it, on their devices, trying yeah. to just live their life. And I was just screaming. But I did make Claire spit out 
a mouthful of water, which was a treat. <laughs> oh, because you you uttered that in the southern He's like, dialect. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was such a stark shift of like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's like, I never had a pot yeah. to piss in. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> But I think oh. I found my summer my summer brand. That sounds really fun. Angry. Yeah, just, Wait, what so what is it? Like uh a really kind of disadvantaged angry southern woman? Exactly. Yes, like um uh, a disadvantaged um devastated southern woman who like wanted more from her life but hates the hand that she was dealt. That's going to be mm-hmm. my summer aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how that will manifest into clothing, but, you know, last last year I really focused on hypothermic girlfriend, as you remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that I was really recall. sort of like, right, that was sort of like the thread that connected the year, hypothermic girlfriend. And this year is just, um, it's almost like her shrewish southern grandmother. Mm. Like, you think you can just throw that chicken away without eating it? I never had a pot to piss in or a piece of bread to put it on. Hmm. Okay. I'm just screaming, but it is what it is. It's an it's an aesthetic. It's gonna it, it really it's gonna be hard to top. It's going to be hard to top uh, like freezing girlfriend. Yeah, hypothermic girlfriend. Thank you. Hypothermic girlfriend is gonna be tough to top. Yeah, I have to say it. it it's really it is gonna be tough. Um, I'll ne- I'll never forget when it was born in your room. It was good mm. times. Mm. Uh, Jack, uh, it's so <laughs> amazing being here with you. But do you just have like even like a hoodie or something I can wear? <laughs> like that's the one thing that the um, disadvantaged southern woman and hypothermic girlfriend share, which is that they are both suffering in different ways. Mm. True, um, there, but there is the, that. The suffering of Southern people is relevant to our first topic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to go finally, into it? Yeah, please go into it because we <laughs> finally caught up on the S-Town train and please launch. Please drive this train out the station. It's a, it's a seven-part podcast all about this one dude. Oh, spoiler. happened. Something has absolutely happened in this town. There's just too much little crap for something not to have happened. And I'm about had enough of shit town and the things that goes on. From Serial and This American Life, I'm Brian Reed. S-Town, coming March 28th. You're, you're beginning to figure it out now, aren't you? Um, brought to you by This American Life and Serial, and it really mm-hmm. is like a fusion of both. Like it starts yeah. as Serial and really just ends up being a This American Life storytelling True. piece. Yeah. Um, but there is, which spoiler are you talking about? There's like, there's one big one and then there's <laughs> kind of it's another like, one. I mean, what qualifies as a spoiler really? I don't know. All the crazy shit that, come, I felt like the last po- episode of the show there were like so many crazy revelations that they didn't really bring up in the rest of the show, which yeah, I was I kind like, of agree. What? It's funny. I, I know I sort of like my jaw dropped in the last episode, but it kind of felt almost like the show didn't realize that that was 
going to be like considered a twist or something. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, well, I think okay, we so try not to spoil it though, but yeah, let's just talk about it and see what happens organically. Let's just, let's at least describe the story of how. It's so going. like, right? So it like opens up with this American Life producer Jonathan Reed, right? Is that his name? Yes. Yeah. Um, and he has this like, uh, gets this like very eccentric phone call from this guy with the very flowery Southern accent, talking about like a murder that's been covered up by the police and. Like, the guy who is the, like, supposed murderer comes from a, like, a white supremacist power family and blah, blah, blah. So, the, the This American Life producers, like, gets interested, like, goes down there and, like, meets the guy. And it turns out that the dude who he's been, like, oh, but he has, like, a big series of conversations with him, right? Doesn't he have, like... He does. He, They're talking for, like, for like months. almost a almost like a year, if I remember yeah, correctly. Right. He's speaking to him over email correspondence and then phone calls before he even meets him in person. Yeah. And it's like, they talk about, like, everything. And this dude has, like, a huge issue with, like, climate change. And he says that he comes from this town in Alabama. He keeps referring to it as shit town, which is why right. the, the titular is S-town. S-town. Yeah. Right. And, you know... He's mad and whatever, and he's bitching and moaning, but apparently he's, like, a genius. He's, like, a, a clock restorer who repairs yes. really old clocks, and that's, like, a very, like, you need to be very smart to do something like that. And he, it's like, very specialized and very difficult. <laughs> yeah, and he, like, builds crazy shit like sundials and astrolabes, and, like, he, the dude's, like, just on another level in terms of, like, intellect, it feels. Yes. And then he goes down there and, like, this dude, Brian Reed, is like, okay, let's go investigate these murders. And John B. McLemore, who's the guy, the Southern Alabama genius guy, he's like, uh, okay. And he kind of, like, goes around <laughs> with the guy. And it turns out, like, he also sounds true. just He also sounds just like me when I'm doing Nancy Grace. Yeah. <laughs> True. Were you able to unhear it? Because literally, I'd be listening. And he'd be like, "I'm absolutely sickened by this time," <laughs> and I was like, "Um, that's so true. That's it's so true. really weird." Like he'd literally be driving, and be like, "This is the sickest little town I've ever been in." I'd rather shit town. herb stomp my this old true. shit town. Yeah, his that that vocal. <laughs> Range is so good. This shit town is absolutely hideous. But I love it and I hate it with the fire of my band. Like, okay, (laughs) can you please talk in his voice the rest of the episode? (laughs) Oh, I wish I could. If only. So they begin to investigate. They begin to investigate this this covered up murder. Um, John B. Bacamore's, like, big problem with this town is that it's corrupt, this murder has taken place, and the fact that, like, this wealthy family that's, like, in, that's, like, a major part of, like, the town's development, like, regime, um, is emblematic of just the town's sort of, like, disgustingness. Um, and so he, the first episode, the first episode and a half are presumably about the attempt to solve this, this murder, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear, like, at the beginning of the second episode, that's like, no, this never happened. This guy's just like a loon. This dude who's right. like describing all this corruption and stuff. He's like a, a, an insane genius. It feels like, right. And then I don't know what happens after the 
Okay, so yeah, after the uh, he finds out that this dude's just an eccentric, the producer kind of like hangs out there and learns a little bit more about the town and everyone. He learns from like all the locals that like John B. McLemore is kind of a little bit crazy and probably gay and like he finds out all this stuff that I don't know. I guess John. He B. does. McLemore, he finds out. Yeah. He also finds out that he's very, very rich. That's the oh, most. Right. That yeah. becomes one of the bigger unveilings. So after the second episode, the second episode ends with a really with like a climactic event that we will not. I think we should not spoil because it's interesting how it does and does not inform the. I mean, it kind of does completely inform the rest of it, but it's because of the storytelling of the podcast. You can actually continue to talk about everything else without revealing what that thing is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even though there's five more chapters after, and they have to do with that, but don't have to do with that. But John B, John B, the whole piece, the whole podcast ends up becoming essentially like a storytelling piece and like a character study um, of this guy who is very smart. Like you said. Um, So what did you think of it? What did you, what did you think? This podcast has been very successful. It broke crazy records and was downloaded um, a record 10 million times in the first Damn. 24 hours, wow, which really? is like insane. Yes, mm. like insane. Um, so it's been really, really, really popular to a degree. It hasn't it hasn't commanded like the conversation, the sort of like zeitgeist, the way that like Serial did, where like um, yeah. Everybody was talking about it, but a lot of people listened to it. And also, this they released all of it at once. Right. Um, whereas Serial was being you could released. Binge it. We, right. It was being released. We, the best thing about Serial, I thought, was actually like that it was being released weekly and that in the week in between, they were assembling the episode. So they felt really sort of like alive in that way. Um, mm. S Town is the product of three years of reporting and storytelling. And the final product is. You know, it's been a long time coming. Three years. Three That's years. So three years. That is when did such a come long out? time. When did Serial come out? Serial came out in like 2014. Hmm. Is that right? 2015? Late 2014, I think. Yeah. Um, if if I'm if I'm correct. Um, so that means they've been working on this for since like roughly around the time that Serial started popping off, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Started in October of 2014, the first season. I thought, uh, I, I enjoyed S-Town. I mean, I'm sure it's one of those things where, like, if you don't kind of, like, if you get disappointed that it's not, it doesn't end up being, like, a, a serial-esque investigative thing, like, who did what, I could see why that would turn a lot of people off, but, like, right. I don't know, keep listening to it. It's very interesting and they don't into... drag you. You don't go that long thinking it's going to be that. Like, I kind of feel like by a certain point early in the show, if that's what you're looking for and that's all you want, it, the show shakes you off and you yeah. it keeps going with the people who are on it. I think. I don't know. I mean, True. like, kind of. Like, I do think that at times you are. Because so essentially, John B. Macklemore's, um like, is the center of the story. But then, like, the story becomes much broader and we sort of, like, start talking about the people in the town and their relationships to him, people that, like, you know, we hear John B. Macklemore speak to Tyler, this, like, young kid um, who grew up in the town and is, like, disadvantaged to various degrees, and he has this sort of mentor-mentee relationship with him, and so, like, one yeah. one or two of the episodes are really focused on Tyler, um, really focused on John B. Macklemore's cousins and his mother. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk to, like, all these different people, and his wealth becomes, like, a really big... A really big element yeah um, this dude this oh he like 
He's got a bunch of money because I guess in the 90s there was a boom on grandfather clocks because of eBay. And so he became really good at like fixing old clocks and then he would sell them and make money. But he was known to like convert all of his capital into gold. And so everyone just thinks that this dude's got like piles and piles of gold buried throughout his gigantic epic compound of a house. Right. Which features um, at the top of the show... Um, they discuss this maze, which yeah. is designed, which I actually thought, so I, th- the maze bothered, so there are things that really bother me about this podcast, which are things that actually bother me about like all of the This American Life sort of like family, except for Serial, which mm-hmm. really feels separate to me. I feel like tonally Serial is like its own project and like this was this ends up resembling this American life much more than serial, I think. I think serial just sort of like yeah. gives it like an aesthetic and like a a soundtrack and like it has a more cinematic quality that I think like um serial implies. But this is a this American life piece. And like for me, like I love this American life and I love this kind of storytelling pod- podcast stuff or anything, but sometimes I find them very frustrating in the way that they sort of um glorify like the minutiae of life to like hold grand (laughs) meaning do you know what i mean in this way that only like coastal liberal intellectuals view the world which is through a prism of like profound meaning and like i just find that to be really irritating at times Hmm. like i after a while sort like i like took a big this american life break for like a couple years because i literally could not spend like another minute of listening to ira glass like Okay, let's say that right. you collect pillowcases. <laughs> and let's say yeah, that right, right. you spend your entire life collecting pillowcases. Right. So then what? Today we're talking about pillows. And it's like, okay, right. this is very, very, very... Like, <laughs> and as like, the world... Yeah, yeah. He'll be like, no, he'll be like, like, he'll be like <laughs> describing someone's... Like someone like going into a diner and he'll be like... He walks up to the counter. He sits down. He orders a coffee. Black. No sugar. <laughs> You know what right, I mean? and it'll be like, like Dave, Dave hates sugar, which is something yeah. that we'll learn as we continue. And it's like, yeah. will we? Like, I'm so, so over it, and like, don't care. I mean, like, on the one hand, like, these stories are what like create the tapestry of human life. Like, all yeah. of these details and the minutia and like the muck is like the exact thing that like makes the world as we know it because we only have like. Like, you know, in the span of human history, we have, like, how many adventurers do we have? How many explorers do we have? How many artists do we have? Like, the world is populated in between those pockets by, like, ordinary people living ordinary lives that have, you know, the the, the, the magnitude of a life lived is, like, relative. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, if your world is, like, very small, the smallest events are very big. And, like, I'm moved by that notion. But there is this, like gawky quality to these types of storytelling programs in which like someone is entering these spaces and treating them as very like precious and like i just find that shit to be annoying (laughs) i had actually there there was a part in this podcast that i kind of had that like feeling of like what the fuck are you like why you don't get to be upset by this right right when he's in the tattoo parlor i was i had a problem with him in the tattoo parlor a little bit oh because he was describing like all these like racist people I don't know. I mean, I just, okay, yes. So race is, like, something I, like, thought about a little bit. Not a lot, because I don't, I, like, try to reject the desire to, like, place a racial conversation onto every motherfucking thing in Trump's America. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not going to necessarily do it. However, I will say this. Like, I think that 
you enter, you enter the South, you enter these places from a specific point of view, speaking, you know, at the very least to a specific audience. Your hope, of course, is that everyone in the world will listen to it and connect to this thing. But you know for sure that, like, your base demographic is has a certain sensibility. And that sensibility includes a bias towards the South. <laughs> like, we yeah. know what we're getting, at least in terms of media and, like, storytelling when we, like, enter when we enter the South. And so already I'm sort of just like, all right, like you have to make a really good case for me that you're not like entering a place with these people and like sort of making fun of them. I don't know. And I didn't think he was at all. I actually think he was really sensitive and was really just good at occupying like space and making these people feel like fully formed characters for sure. But Mm -hmm. there were times where I was like, who are you? Like, why are you telling why are you going into the depths of John B. Macklemore's story? Because, like, you know, without giving a spoiler away, like, at a certain point, like, the story is being, is about John B. Macklemore goes so much farther than him. Yeah. And he loses a sense of control and agency over, like, what he tells. And this is somebody who is a talker. <laughs> like, you're listening to this podcast and, like, he loves storytelling. He loves talking. John Macklemore himself. Like, so to, to, yeah. to strip him of the ability to tell the story and yet to continue telling it feels to me to, like, completely misunderstand who this person is. Like, I don't think... I think he wants to be the arbiter of his own story. And at a certain point, I kind of was, like, bristling a little bit at, like, whether one should continue going and, like, continue on. I don't know. I found yeah. it really... I found it really frustrating. And also, one so one of the things you learn in the last episode... This isn't a spoiler, but this is one of... One of my fave, one of my fave, there's two different things you learn in the last episode. One is you learn something really, really fascinating about the gold, um, about where the gold is, what the gold is, and what like the consequences of the gold are, um, Mm -hmm. which I was obsessed with. And then the other thing you learn at the very end of the podcast, which is actually one of my favorite things about the whole thing, is he does this quick summary of like, the history of this town in about two and a half minutes. And it leads to you learning that like actually a huge part of Macklemore's worth is from how big this prop from the land that he owns, which I don't think for the previous six episodes, you really understand how big it is, or at least I didn't understand how sprawling the land was. Um, But you really see that this is like a large plot of land. Um, which at one point they call a farm, which is like probably means it's a plantation, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I assume it's a plantation, which is another weird racial thing because, like, definitely right. that plantation had slaves. Macklemore also has, like, gets tattoos of, like, whip marks on his back. I don't know. There is. No, but he hit. No, so but he, weird. Th- those weren't tattoos. Those were actual marks. That's right. He gets. He has Tyler, like, whip him. Um, yeah. which we can't get into. It's, it is really hard to talk about this show. But, Bro's into so, some s and type shit. He's definitely, yeah, his nipples, all of this. I mean, I don't know. So this is, that was like a big tangent. But like, yeah, so I sort of like bristle a little bit at some of the precious things. And so I hated that maze. I thought that like, them, I just felt like it was such an Because we kept going back to it? He kept going back to it. And it was such an obvious sort of, um, metaphor for what this podcast was about like if you're trying to tell me that you're going to give me a story about like how complex and like how like one's life can be and has all these like dead ends and you like think you're doing this but you're actually doing that it's like 
Yeah, like, that's quite literally what a maze is. So, like, using a maze as, like, a symbol for that was just very, like, what is this, like, eighth grade, like, I don't know, like, lit project. I just thought that that was, like, something about the podcast when it was trying to, like, wrap this story up cleanly, I thought was frustrating. Because I think, like, it's... It's oh, most interesting going. when it just sort of like meanders, I right. thought, because yeah. it goes into like a million different directions and actually does not feel like tidy. Um, and I liked that element of it even more, I think. Did you, what did you think of the like extended clock metaphor? Because that's arguably the same, played the same role of like, being like, oh, this guy, this guy was like a complicated pieced together genius right, right. that was like worked with in harmony in his own brain and but totally. you know like, like yeah or even like a pawn yeah like a pawn observation like a clock looks like this but like it's much more complicated on the yeah. inside like it has really intense inner workings i also thought that that was kind of annoying um mm. especially because i like what was really funny was like i thought that they were they were using the clock as a symbol of sort of um, John B. McLemore's complication. But mm-hmm. I thought it was a much more interesting symbol for quite literally what it is, which is about like time, like as yeah. you know, about all of these regrets and all of this idea of like the past and how complicated our relationships are with our pasts and how they hold yeah. us back and stop us from changing. Like I thought like on its face, like the clock was like, it's almost the opposite of the maze where I like thought like the most simple metaphor of the clock was actually kind of the most, kind of the most moving because as the show reaches its end, the last two episodes I thought were, I think the last two episodes and the first two episodes are the best episodes of the podcast. I think like the yeah. middle three, it sort of goes in and out and I kind of feel like it doesn't know exactly what it wants to do, but I still really like enjoyed parts of it. But I don't know, just some of, it just sometimes felt very, I just want to know like why, like why, why this person's story, why are we telling it? Like, it's such a weird question to ask because there isn't really an answer. It's like, why tell anyone's story? Why do anything that isn't like, um, like a, I don't know, a biography of someone already like famous and important, but it's sort of, I mean, and this sort of also goes to like what we're going to talk about like later in the show, this documentary we saw, but like, just like, why? Like, who is this person? Like what? Like, I don't know. I just kind of, it made me, sometimes it made me feel weird and other times I was really moved by it and maybe that was its purpose and it succeeded, but. Yeah. It's just interesting that like the only reason they did something on John B. McLemore is because he reached out to the, this American life people. Like there could have been anybody and it's weird that it like worked out so well. Right. 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 Yeah. No, I agree. But it's, but it also isn't weird because like, to tell a story about this town, they found someone essentially with a very traditional This American Life sensibility. <laughs> they literally found someone who yeah, listens right. to This American Life in a town full of people who, in theory, don't. So, like, yeah. I'm really interested in this idea of this story. And yes, this person's complicated, but like, fundamentally, I feel like the S Town is positing that, like, his most interesting complication was that he was someone really smart in a town full of people who were really dumb or something. Like, that's yeah. a really, like, simplified way of looking at it. But it's this very sort of, like, Ira Glassy perspective of, like, something small and something big. And it's, like, I don't know. Would This guy was this guy's really, really intelligent, and I get that that is really surprising to some degree, but I question why it has to be that surprising. And I question mm-hmm. if, they would wa- if they would be really interested in someone who maybe, like, 
was not nearly as intelligent, but maybe whose life was just as full. And I just kind of can't under, I can't really tell what the criteria is for these storytelling projects. Like there is just, I don't know. There is a, there, even, even though this thing took three years and they came in wanting to do one thing and did something completely different, it still felt completely of a piece with the shit that they always do. And I think that's something about that is very like, okay, is like, it's, it's, it wasn't a, ch- it wasn't challenging storytelling, but I found it still really like deeply moving, especially when we discover that he was like gay and profoundly lonely, which we <laughs> gradually sort oh. of learned. That was really brutal. I thought, yeah. I thought that was really, the second to last episode, chapter six, I think is like probably one of the most, one of the, like probably my favorite chapter. It was just like so human and was, I don't know. It was just really tough and mm. Yeah. Well, so what's the verdict? Do we like it? Do we not like it? I enjoyed it. I don't think it's like I enjoyed it. I don't think it's like a a all timer or anything. I don't think so either. I think yeah. I know. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's like um, yeah. I think it's like a really. I think it has like a lot of flaws and things that I just kind of like don't understand. Like I just don't get like what prompted this story to be, to be told and like its timeliness feels really like interesting, but I can't really place like what about it is interesting but overall it was like totally moving and mm-hmm. and yeah i liked it nice i think it's really it's really tightly done as well it, like i mean it does meander but it's like a clean seven episodes and yeah i think everyone should listen if they if they haven't it won't have it doesn't have a hook though i don't know it's i don't find it addictive but i found no it hooky sort of like, it definitely meanders yeah but uh it's i don't know it's interesting and the, the last episode has some good twists so yeah so if everybody hasn't listened now is now is the time get into it and we managed to not spoil that much Mm. um but there are some revelations in that last episode about that i thought was really fascinating the gold the stuff about the gold was really interesting to me um it kind of almost had that like true detective quality of like this thing that is like at the center of a bigger thing proves to be a have a sort of like ambivalent ending or kind of a it's almost like a red herring in some way yeah and i kind of like that i like that element of it oh okay wait next topic we have to we have to get going here um the netflix documentary casting jean benet casting jean benet what the fuck was this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely not what I was expecting either. It's so... I don't even. I honestly can't. There are many okay, stories so about who killed John Bonet. There was so much speculation. He was in John Bonet's bedroom. It was a three-page ransom note. It still haunts me. There was a Santa Claus that was at the party. Oh, oh, oh. This is why I have a background check every year. Cases like that, it's always somebody you know. Good girl. The mother had to do it. Why would she have no motive? And then her husband. I think he's the innocent one. Actually, the son. There's no way a nine-year-old could pull off a murder like this. If you tell someone a secret, it's no longer a secret. And call this a documentary. Like, it's like a video project to be honest, like, um, in which this, um, oh my God. So this 
a filmmaker. I actually read that she was, I believe is she Icelandic. I'm like embarrassed to not know this beautiful truth. But um, the filmmaker's name is, oh my God. Wait, what is her name? Like Kelly Green or something? Um, um, K- Kitty Green, sorry. Kitty Green. Um, Kitty Green has done this documentary called Casting Jean Benet, and she has she's filmed it in the Colorado town that Jean Benet's family lived in and that Jean Benet died in. Jean Benet was the in 1996 was the like six year old beauty pageant Ramsey. queen. Jean Benet Ramsey. I think most of us should know, but like six year old kindergarten um, beauty pageant queen she who got was murdered. murdered on the 26th and like remains unsolved. I guess. Yeah, there was like a there was like a ransom note, um, and it, but no one ever figured out who did it. But it was like. Everyone, everyone was pointing fingers at the parents. Yes, it became a media circus. Well, everyone was pointing fingers at everyone. Yeah. Um, the parents were at the top of like a sixteen hundred suspect list. Like it was Ooh. crazy. Like this, there's like in this documentary, like they touch on it, but like the Santa Claus that attended like a holiday party was a suspect. Like the parents were a suspect. The little brother was a suspect. Like everyone in town essentially was a suspect. And so this documentary, the director returns to the town and um casts a group of women and a group of men um i think like six women and like or like yeah, eight women boys. six men uh, and little boys and some little girls but um cast these people essentially in the roles of jean benet's parents and um brother and like a cop and like she fills in the roles for what would in theory be a film about a dramatic retelling of Jean Benet's murder. Yeah, like um, a lifetime. And a retelling. lifetime movie shot better but like that kind of idea. And all of these residents are non-actors. All these people are non-actors but they are residents of the town and she films essentially their auditions and then them on the set filming at various times and like Every scene is sort of made up of these people speaking directly to the camera about various things, and the camera is always set up in the exact same way in different settings. So if it's in an interrogation room, she'll sort of like you'll just have these people speaking very like freely to the camera as themselves um, mm-hmm. in an interrogation room or in a bedroom or in a bathroom, whatever scene they're about to film. And punctuating those moments are like presumably scenes of this fake movie that they're acting in. It's it's both very experimental and like completely unexperimental at the same time. It's like very <laughs> bizarre. Um, and these people just sort of riff on so much. So it ha- so the, so well first of all, did you like this? Did you like this film? I have uh, Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. I don't know. I thought it was like an interesting concept and it was like I thought it was kind of interesting hearing from the residents perspective like just like all the rumors and shit. Because so yes. much of what a lot of people say like never happened. A lot of they've this movie's been getting blasted kind of for being like wildly inaccurate at times because the townspeople just like say whatever they want. That's crazy for there to be blowback. There's no this is one of my problems with the movie that there's no moment you're watching this not being like, What? At the people. Like these yeah. people never to me seem like I don't know, if anyone's watching this and being like, these are fake facts. It's like nobody's watching this should be thinking these are facts. Yeah. <laughs> they just reek of, like, suburban rumors to me. But, you know, th- I'm sure someone's like, signs into Netflix and goes, oh, this is a this is a true crime talk about JonBenet Ramsey. Uh, I know, it's true. We, like, uh, this, we need to, like, 
teach media literacy like in schools. People need to be able to watch things and know what is true and what isn't. Has there yeah, ever yeah. been a time where that's been more important in American history than for us mm. to be able to like differentiate between fact and fiction like better than we do? Yeah. Uh, um the rumors. So what's interesting about the movie I think is like you I th- so I I would watch a documentary on Jean Benet even though I think I know almost everything there is to know about this case like if there is stuff that I didn't know this documentary didn't tell me like but yeah. I think I, I I know a good amount about this case so I would watch like a legit documentary but what's interesting about this one is that like it's sort of more interested in like Jean Benet it's all it's almost like it's like Jean ben- the Jean Benet Ramsey case was like this like nucleus to a larger thing. And this documentary is about the larger thing. And the murder itself is almost like really far from it. And I think the movie actually kind of cleverly, there's an, John Bonet is like really absent in the movie. The movie opens with like a bunch of little girls sitting on these chairs in this kind of like, um, really like gorgeous, like portraiture almost of these girls who are going to be John Bonet. But she's like pretty much absent through the whole thing. Like you don't really see her. And so, she ends up, they, they end up just using her sort of as like a spark to talk about these people. Mm-hmm. And these people have some things to say. Like, the rumors are crazy. One of my favorite was one of the wives being, one of like the people who plays Jean Benet's mom, Patsy. And she's being like, yeah, like, I remember this case. It's crazy. <laughs> like, she was six years old. She died in 1996. It was <laughs> December 26th. Six, six, six. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, what? And then it would, like, cut away. And what about the guy who was like, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, if I was, like, the mother of Jean Benet and I, you know, killed my daughter and then got uterine cancer, I think there's a connection between mind and body. And I only know that because I didn't have kids. And now I have testicular cancer. (laughs) It was like, wait. Pardon me. Pardon me. It really is. And then there's a cop who's like, I want, like, really think they should have gone to jail. And I know that because I was in prison. Now I teach (laughs) sex. Starts using whips. I was like, this is. Yes, a sex educator. The next scene, he's like, you really got to twirl this for the sensation. I was like, okay, I'm so baffled. He has, like, one of those cat of nine tail whips when he's twirling it. The best, he's like, it's really hard. We don't have a lot of space, but basically, and then he's yeah. just like twirling and like staring at the camera. Like, you really got to get momentum. You got to yeah. get momentum. Yep. Spin it just like this. Like, okay. So like my, so problem number one, this movie is absolutely making fun of these people a little bit, but it has no sense of humor. Like the movie's actually really like grim. Didn't you feel that way? It was very like. Well, yeah, wasn't it, I mean, isn't it supposed to kind of be, like, a commentary on, like, this kind of shit happening in small town? Yes, definitely. That's sort of the takeaway of the movie that I think is actually sort of interesting, that, like, it's supposed to be, like, the way in which, um, yeah, like, the the way in which these rumors can spread and completely alter the perception, the national perception of the story. I mean, like, the, the documentary never makes it clear if these theories are the result of, you know, neighborhood gossip that then, like, leaked out into the media and became, like, the countrywide narrative, or if, like, the country's narrative trickled its way into the town and the townspeople began to sort of hear it and absorb it and turn on the family. Like, Mm. it never really makes me clear what direction that went in. And I actually think that direction's really important. Like, 
you know, if these people, but we'll never know that either. Like we'll never really know the degree to which this stuff is genuine and which what's been like learned. But Mm -hmm. these people gradually, as they begin to like go into their roles as the parents, um, all unveil their own trauma and their own history um, as a way to sort of like, I think like display that our empathy and our judgments are born out of our own biases. Um, But I also don't think the movie goes that deep with the things people say. They just sort of say them like they admit them in a setting in which I can't be sure they know exactly what's going on. Like, I don't know anything that happened with the casting of these people. I don't know what this movie was pitched as to them. Like, did they really think they were going to be in this movie? If so, like, did the director lie to them? Like, do they understand that their mo- the movie is essentially made up of their, like, private screen tests that, yes, are being filmed and they're signing off on its use, but, like, do they understand that the scenes they're filming in between are not for a real movie? Like... Yeah, are they the subjects they of like an experiment? Gotcha, gotcha right, moment. I, exactly. And like, I can't even pass a judgment on that because I don't know if it's, I don't know anything about the, but the mechanics of this filmmaking process. And it has such a like tight, like tight grip on like atmosphere and tone. And like, sometimes it's supposed to be silly, but I never found the movie to be, I was never laughing. I was just like, what? Like, Pardon? What about the woman? I'm sorry to keep bringing up different things. The woman who's like, like, I walked outside because my daddy called me out in the backyard and then he hit me in the head with an axe. <laughs> Wasn't there like... I literally bunch- was like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? She's like, he hit me in the skull with an axe. My mama divorced him. I was like, um, bitch, yeah. like, who are you? Like, All the who people are who you? they... It felt like there was a lot of people who they interviewed who had like really traumatic stories. Right. Maybe that that was like a decision they made on purpose. Which is a problem. You can't do that. Hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's not an act. Like, what is this movie supposed to be? I mean, like, I, I like the idea of it. You know, I almost feel like this is a more interesting, like, museum piece or something. Like, you know, some type of, like, some type of experimental piece to put into, like, a museum that reflects on maybe, like, tabloid culture. Because I think the way that, like, it try to conflates how an actor achieves like quote unquote like their motivation as a character for the character through pulling from themselves the way that that also informs the way that like we as humans operate in the world and like the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and about the people around us so that we can just sort of survive i think that, that is like a really fascinating idea and i think it's really really beautiful and kind of like moving and sort of that's the thing that I think is really interesting to compare it to S-Town in some way that like these are both stories about like really like small spaces um in which like seemingly big things happen and the kind of like stories people just tell themselves in order to make sense of it and make sense of their own their own lives and their own tragedies and the judgments they pass on everyone around them because John B. McLemore hates his town um, yeah. so much but it's also born out of like self-loathing you know because he has the means to fix it and change mm-hmm. it and doesn't so he's totally projecting his own feelings of inadequacy onto this town that we learn is like kind of okay and these people are also in casting John Bonet bringing so much of like their own shit like onto these parents who I feel so bad for like I don't think I fu- I knew the story but didn't fully realize like the shit that these people thought like Jean Benet's dad was like 
fucking her? Had, like, a... Fucking her, and, like... Or the mom... The worst one, honestly... Even worse than, like, the, the dad having sex with the daughter was the one where someone was, like, honestly, if I was about to turn 40... I'd probably kill my daughter too. I'd be jealous or something. And I was like, what? Like, that is such a despicable yeah. like box to place on a woman. And to say that like her fear of aging into like pre- before even middle age, like 40, 40 years old. That's not even that old. To say that that would drive you fucking crazy and make you kill your daughter. I was like, y'all are extra. 1996, you know, it's different now. Different now. There is, like, a certain drip drop of, like, wokeness that I hope is spread through the water supply of the country, for sure. It is a different time. Um, I agree. You're right. It is a different time. But the movie's so shot in such a contemporary way. It looks like a David Fincher movie or, like, an Errol Morris documentary. Like, I almost completely forget that this shit took place in the 90s. Like, I... There's no sense of there's it's like in a vacuum of nowness. I don't know. I found this documentary to be really annoying. Something about it was really, it really, yeah. like, really like pissed me off. I it thought. annoyed me too, and I didn't really enjoy viewing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I kind of was. It was kind of a slog, and I felt like it was like rude and was making sort of fun of these. Like this movie is presumably an examination on what motivates us to pass judgment, but the movie's also passing judgment in a way. And I don't know, I felt for these people when they were talking about their empathy, but I I couldn't be sure if the filmmaker was sort of like you, like loving, loving their revealing of personal stories because it showed like, like, hmm, like they're not much better. Their lives aren't clean. Or if it was meant to make us feel a certain way about like, you know, feeling bad for these people that two minutes ago we thought were really despicable and stupid. I don't know. I couldn't tell what it wanted and I'm okay with ambiguity, but it felt a little manipulative. I don't know. And I, I kind of want everyone to see it, but I, but I don't recommend it. No one see it. No one see it. Not everything Netflix does has to, has to succeed. Um, honestly, like I can only count on like one hand, the amount of things Netflix does that I like. (laughs) What? And it pr- pretty much begins and ends with Orange is the New Black. <laughs> oh, my God. Get over yourself. What do you love on Netflix? Tell me what is really good on Netflix. And I I'll really tell you, like, honestly, I, really I don't like, watch. I really like Master of None. Oh, you're right. I like Master of None as well. Okay, okay. I forgot. I kind of uh, forgot. Okay, I like all of the, the stand-up comedy specials they do are all great. Okay, yes. I like those, too. But still, we're on one hand, bitch. That's three. That's three. You don't like the show Love? I like that show. I haven't seen it. It's good. I don't like Jillian whatever. Jillian. Jones. Oh, I like her. It's a little... Really? The two stars of the show, it's like, come on. She would never be with a guy that that ugly. But you know what? Whatever. Oh, Paul Russ. I think yeah. he's kind of cute. He's kind <laughs> Oh, dude. That guy is a... No. <laughs> that guy is not good looking. I look at him and I'm like, I swear to God, you are like an older version of a child star. But I don't know which one or who or it's what. True. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he's actually he's married like to the things? head writer. Um, I like Stranger Things. Yeah, I like Stranger Things. I feel like you're not. I feel like you're being and uh, making a murder. Do you like making a murder? Um, I like. I kind. Yeah, I also had making uh, oh, murder was also uh, a little much. Uh, but that's, uh, that's five. You're done. <laughs> no, what? That's like no. Okay, look. Okay, I. I'll. I'll take. I'll take back. I don't think that. Here. Here's my problem with Netflix. Their strategy is really like. 
every like I like that they just throw whatever and see what sticks. I think like that's something movie studios quite literally don't do. But I just think that like there is this um consumptive quality to like the amount of shit that they put out that I just want a little editing. Like yeah. all of these things are good, but like you know that there's like 50 other things in between there that Netflix just like shoves in and I'm just kind of like there seems to be a lack of quality control but that's yeah. also kind of what I like it's a yeah. new company they should that's be experimenting you, yeah. but that's how you end up with fucking uh the Rob Schneider Netflix series right or the Adam Sandler con like 10 movie yeah. contract like yeah. what oh, is the taste level I, I hated Hot Girls Wanted we what both about, did yeah what about <laughs> Whore's Glory, isn't that a Netflix special? It's not. Netflix oh. just had the rights to that, or like got oh. the rights to to show it. But okay. th- but this John Bonet is the hot is this year's Hot Girls Wanted, like a yeah. weird Sundance buy that scene that you know you can just like the title gets people, the subject gets people, and it's really like not well thought out. I didn't like that movie at all. Hmm. Oh well. But, but yes, you are right. And I will say, I kind of do want to watch, I haven't seen Love, but maybe I should watch it because the head writer of it is one of my favorite, like, old, old, old Vice writers. Hmm. And she wrote on the first season of Girls, and she has, like, an amazing book called Dear Diary. Her name's Leslie Arfin. And she's married to Paul Russ, the, the lead from, from Love. So, hmm. 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 Okay, All right. We well, to, let's. We, we gotta we gotta bust through the the Trump of the week segment, even though it's a we gotta big doozer. It's a doozer. So this week in Trump, like, wow. I honestly think it's like painful to have to even like speed through this, but like, like okay. So this week, <laughs> President Donald Trump unceremoniously fired FBI um, Director Comey. Um, for allegedly for his mishandling of Hillary Clinton's emails, which is probably like one of the more offensive like crocs of shit he's like fed us, I would say one of the more offensive. Um, though he was also leading an investigation into Trump's ties with Russia, so Trump firing him is at least on the level of optics questionable at best. Um, I'd say the most interesting revelation that came this week was that Comey is six eight. He's six foot eight. Six foot eight. Big guy. <laughs> He's a big guy. Like, big guy. um, is he hot? Like, wait. Like, <laughs> when I read that fact, I literally Google imaged him and was like, wait, Comey. <laughs> I don't even have anything to say about this because it's so <laughs> egregious. Like, this is the most, like, transparent and disgusting, like, I, I honestly, it's like, it's too scary for me to like even really unpack. Like the fact that like Sessions recused himself from having anything to do with the Russia investigation and yet was one of the architects of Comey's firing. Like, <laughs> yeah. how is that okay? Yeah. Like how yeah. at all? And so like, who's the person they're going to place as the head of the FBI now? Some like Trump fanatic who's going to like, so you have like a racist attorney general and, like, a presumably, like, racist-approved Trump-supporting FBI president. Yeah, it's going to be like a... Head. It's going to be like a... It's, 
It's going to be like a clone of, uh, like, a, a real-life clone of Pepe the Frog is going to be the new FBI head. It's, right. It's going to be a Pepe the Frog with a mustache and a hat, like a frog in the trench coat. Yeah. Um, the idea of Sessions having any... Like, fucking Jeff Sessions is so dastardly. Like, he's... Why? I cannot even believe... Like, this is what makes me so... Like, there's so many things I hate about Trump, but, like, because this man's ego is so is so thin and it is the only thing it's it's like he's not even like a puppet like he's literally like a carrot on a string and like all anyone has to do is stroke the string like his interest in Putin it's not on anything other than the fact that Putin said he could make a lot of money and that he complimented him all these motherfuckers that he's appointed into these positions are just people that liked him that's it yeah so like the fact that a racist can be an attorney general is just contingent on the fact that Trump says whatever and doesn't realize that when you say whatever, you're going to get really random people to be like, oh, yeah, I kind of like you. And then he's going to be like, oh, you like me? I guess I like you too. Here's like a really high power position. It's like, it's so annoying because he's too dumb to recognize that he's wooing people based on things he doesn't actually care about or believe but because he's so obsessed with the fact that they enjoy him even though they enjoy him for things that he may not even actually care about Mm -hmm. he just like allows them to like dictate so much like jeff sessions now is gonna i mean i don't know what the connect what the parallel what the connection is between the attorney general and the head of the fbi but i would imagine the justice department and the attorney general are have a lot have a lot of like connection correct like in terms of like the work that the attorney general does there's a lot of um there's a lot of leaning into the work of the FBI and the justice department so the idea of them having essentially someone that they like objectively quote unquote approve of instead of like a independent thinker i mean comey i almost feel bad for him even though i fucking want to like strangle him like I don't know. I just think he's such a boy scout and was just doing his job in a way that with like no real care or understanding of how like the media works and seemingly no understanding of what this election cycle was. I'm referring to like when he, you know, the idea that Comey swayed the election by like publicly announcing they'd reopened this investigation to Hillary Clinton's stupid emails. Like I want to actually kill myself, but I almost feel like he just, it was not, he just, no, he didn't understand along with a lot of other people that this election was almost entirely contingent on like who dominated the media cycle at what time. And it was all about like whose shit was going to be on blast closest to the election. So the minute he just sort of made this announcement stupidly as somebody who doesn't understand how media works or how the election works, he like totally exposed the election cycle. and then take down the Trump organization by investigating his ties to Russia. Like this was some long game to get him under his microscope? Or to get the Russians under the microscope. That is the, that would be the most, like, I would literally be like, yeah, great job. Like, like, mm, don't really think you thought that plan out. I mean, I think if the FBI wanted to open up an investigation into like, Trump's ties with Russia, like they'd have the grounds to do that. Am I incorrect? Like, 
Am I, like, misunderstanding that, like, an American company is having, like, connections to, like, a domestic enemy is, like, actually not allowed? Maybe I don't understand the nuances of business law, but I think that that's, like, illegal, isn't it? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, but... Yeah, I'm not not buying that theory. But just, like, instead of it being, like, oh, we're investigating ties to Russia... Uh, like when you're just like a businessman, this is like, oh, we have like a direct line to Putin and like can like fuck with Putin shit. Kind of I thing. see. I mean, that would you be know? a deep, deep, it's deep like, long game. It's but... like, oh, you're you're no longer just like uh, harassing this businessman. You're harassing the president of the United States. But like, doesn't being FBI director require that you like have some character insight into the person you're investigating? Like, all it takes is, like, 15 minutes of studying one Trump interview to know that, like, to rattle him in any way, he's going to, like, turn on you. I mean, this dude is, like, I don't know. If you're going to do an investigation, it better be quiet. Not that anything about it could be quiet, but, like... Yeah, exactly. That strategy is just dumb. I mean, I think Comey's problem is that he doesn't know how to do anything under the surface. And, like, he just does them publicly. And it's, like, okay, maybe, Mm. like, there needs to be a little bit more strategy. But great. Now our FBI director is going to be entirely covert and he's gonna be like evil i don't know i'm just like Mm. very 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 undone it like really like fucked with my week (laughs) that news it just felt so scary and like made me so angry to hear mitch mcconnell be like it's time for everyone to get over it like we're not gonna push for an independent investigation like these republicans are just like need to be shoved onto a bus the bus locked and like drive the bus into like the motherfucking lake i don't know like, my McConnell. dream is to put i want to put mitch mcconnell and everyone bitch i want to like knock them out with some like quiet gas have them wake up in a school bus tied up drive the school bus off a bridge into a lake that i have doused with gasoline and then light the lake on fire that's my like dream birthday next year you don't want to shit in mitch mcconnell's mouth first I would love that. Yeah, I want to. Sh- I want him to wake up um, with his mouth duct taped and my shit just like in his mouth. <laughs> that's my dream. And then I want to have a TV inside the school bus that's about to plummet off a bridge into gasoline-soaked water. And I want it to be a live stream of me in really bad makeup of Jigsaw the clown from Saw. Yeah. And I want to be going like, "You will all suffer." Suffer or suffer? Yeah, suffer. Suffer, like okay, suffer okay. TH with a list. Right. You'll suffer to your last breath. <laughs> what if you make them human centipede first? That would be good. Oh my god, where would I put Mitch McConnell in a human centipede? <laughs> where would I put him? Where would I put him? Where would I put him? In the middle. Yes, or at that's the, end. the worst. Yeah. Yes. No, the middle the middle is good. I'd put um Paul Ryan um in the front. <laughs> And then um, I would put Sean Spicer at the end because that's pretty much what he's doing. Did you see the thing the I, other night where Sean Spicer was hiding in the bushes? Dude, like, I, 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 he is going to be, you know what? When we get an inevitable Trump era biopic, you know, Sean Spicer is going to be like the character who's played by like Josh Gad, who we have like a little bit of sympathy for. Like he's the one who's going to be the most human in this like school of monsters. You can just feel it. Like yeah. I hate him. I hate I hate anybody without backbone. Like I don't respect anybody pathetic and without backbone. I'm just kind of like you're in politics. Like 
if you're gonna be in politics, you need to be like the strongest among us and have an act, have integrity. And if you mm. don't, like, go work at a fucking Chick Fil A. Like, go I don't have any. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Like, I don't have any room in my heart for sympathy or empathy for anyone who's working with this dude and maybe like oh i don't want to but i have to like bitch you don't have to do anything you have a platform you have power do something that matters like i don't give a shit like i hope this dude gets like run over by like a car full of like anime lovers so the last thing he sees is some like manga loving woman like sean sean as he like dies i don't care about any of these people Mm. but i do think he is the one who's in over his head the most Certainly. Certainly. Spicy. Like, hiding in a bush. Dude, like, hiding in a bush. <laughs> it was really good. The image. The image. And also, like, he attempted to send out an email to the press announcing Comey's firing, but apparently there was, like, a mishap and he didn't send it in time and the news got out. So the press was already waiting outside his office and he had to open the press window and scream the news and then lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, Kobe was fired. And then they locked the door. I hate these people. Also, one last thing. Um, props to all of the students who turn at um it was it Bethune Cookman, the historic black college. Yeah. That turned their back on Betsy DeVos, who they who this like I guess administration thought would be a great commencement speaker. Betsy DeVos, really? At a historic black college. Why did they know. choose Betsy DeVos? I'm we'll glad they turned their back on that bitch. Well, good. Yeah, good for them. Are they your good friend or no? Um, They're actually not my good friend, but they're definitely... They orbit my good friend for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love them. They'll be one of my two. My good friend of the week is actually um, the MTV Movie Awards for giving best kiss to the two dudes from Moonlight. I thought that was like the best... Oh cultural news i heard all week it made me so so happy i'm pretty sure the mtv movie awards are like voted by viewers actually um Mm -hmm. and that just makes me feel even better like that's so great i don't know like the mtv movie awards obviously don't matter really but like they do kind of matter for like dumb awards like this like when ryan gossing and um what's her name rachel mcadams won like mtv movie award best kiss for the notebook like that image is like really burned in my brain and like that's like a really good movie kiss and so these dumb awards are actually kind of kind of important kind of cool in some way and to give it to moonlight like that to me is just as important in a completely different way as moonlight winning best picture you know what i mean like moonlight getting that oscar is like oh good like older adult people who are in the arts like can give a shit about a small movie about a black gay man but like kids like teenagers watching the mtv movie awards watch that movie and said it was the best kiss of the year like that's so tight you know what i mean that makes me feel like this upcoming generation is just like shedding so much skin it's so good so they're all y'all who vote for the mtv movie awards you losers you're my good friend of the week yeah all you teens all you teens that listen all you to teens us. yeah all the teens good friend of the um, week the teens yeah good friend of the week are the teens are all like our teens to college graduates who turn their back on Dubois. Yeah. Um is do we
But long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows. Quickly give me the devil tongue explanation for what Bow Wow did. Yes. Super quickly. No, but this is, it's hilarious. Basically, <laughs> Lil Bow Wow posts an Instagram and the picture is of like a private jet and he's like, about to head off to NYC, see you crazy motherfuckers out there. Hashtag private jet. <laughs> okay? No. Then, okay. Then, two hours later, someone's like, the screen a screen cap of a, of a Snapchat photo is like spreading over the internet and it's a photo of bow wow sitting on a commercial flight okay and the kid is like okay. the kid's like this motherfucker's like lying so wait what <laughs> because bow wow said he was on a private flight but he really was not wait that's so Brutal. Are we yeah. sure it's Bow Wow in that other photo? It looks like Bow Wow. And, like, I'm pretty sure everyone just knows that it's Bow Wow. I'm embarrassed. That is <laughs> so... I'm sure Bow Wow was like, okay, like, I'm sure no one will have any idea. Two seconds later, like, that's fucking Bow Wow! <laughs> like, uh Plus the photo that he Instagrammed is some, like, stock photo that's, like, searchable on it the internet. Is- yeah, yeah. No, it's not even like he took a photo of a no, private jet and then just no. did not get on it. He couldn't get on the tarmac. You need special clearance. Kidding. Oh my God, hold on. I'm literally looking for this photo. Wow, I literally typed in Bow and I was like, Bow Wow IG. Wow, this is so I mean, embarrassing. He obviously, he obviously deleted it. But obviously oh, wait, no, it's deleted this one. on the internet. I'm looking at it. Oh my god, that is so embarrassing. So this guy, Lil Bow, is on my flight to NY, but on Instagram he posted a picture of a private jet captain traveling to NY today, shaking my head. Oh my god, that is so embarrassing. God bless. God bless. Well, Bow Wow, you get our embarrassed devil tongue. Ah. Oh, Christ. (laughs) What a life. Um, and also shouts to the person who tweeted this photo, whose Twitter name is Osama Bin Drinkin. <laughs> I heavily fuck with that Twitter name. My Twitter name currently right now is W E B Du Boy. Yeah, yours is yours are always really funny. <laughs> Thank you so much. That one. But now, really- now the Bow Wow thing has like spawned the Bow Wow challenge, where people post photos of like what it looks like in real life and what it actually is, or what it looks like on the oh, internet. And what my it favorite actually is. So my, my there's one of Mike Pence and his wife. It looks like he's at this really important, like walk, or parade, and then it zooms out. Uh-huh. And there's no one there. Wait, so good. Wait, oh, is that from the inauguration? Is Paul Ryan in that yeah. photo? Yeah. Yeah, that's from the inauguration where they're like waving and like the bleachers are absolutely empty. Yeah. Losers, losers. Ugh, they're all losers. They're all losers. They're all losers. Like all we have to okay. Literally, this is the last thing I'm going to say, then we're going to go. But, like, the ultimate strategy, if we want this nightmare to end, is we have to find a way to convince Donald Trump that if he steps down as president, he will be the biggest winner. That's all we have to do. We have to create an elaborate narrative where, like, 
No one would be cooler than the one president who steps down. That would be, like, legendary. And the motherfucker would do it. Like, mm. all these people are losers. <laughs> we need to just, we need to play them the way we, like, manipulate people in, like, high school, middle school, elementary school. Like, where are my MTV Movie Award teens at? You are the people who know how to, right. like, manipulate losers. Like, Maybe this the, is the way. The MTV, movie award, the MTV Movie Award should invent an award called coolest quitter who quits the presidency right. <laughs> yeah and you know trump will be like that popcorn's gold i love gold <laughs> high tails into new york you see like kelly and conway looks at the white house there's a trump shaped hole in the wall because he like, yeah. ran out of the building <laughs> i'm gonna assemble a dumbledore's army of mtv movie award teen voters and we're gonna take down this fucking voldemort ass administration i honestly think it's annoying when people compare this administration to like Hitler or Voldemort. I'm like, these people are losers. <laughs> They're losers. Like, who is looking at Mike Pence being like, this guy reminds me of somebody who would work for Adolf Hitler during the Second World War. I was like, bitch, are you kidding? This looks like someone who literally works at a TGI Fridays. These are <laughs> losers. They're losers. It makes me so angry. I'm literally like heating up right now. Huh. MTV Movie Awards, you're our only hope. <laughs> Never thought I'd say that. Jeez, Louise. Okay, Jeez. I'm gonna. Jeezy Louise. I'm gonna let let our listener. We should let our listeners go, and I'll release release you as well. Help. Okay. But Jack, what a life! What love! Through yonder window breaks. Okay. It is the east, <laughs> and ya boy is the sun. Well, it was good talking to you. It was good talking to you. I feel human, and I feel like animal. I feel like human, too. Are you human, or are you dancer? Uh, Ooh, gare. Yeah. Things are gonna get easier. <laughs> Ooh, gare. Things will be brighter. And with that, <laughs> I say to you, sir, be movie. A B-movie to you. A B-movie to all. Give a little time for the child within you. Don't be afraid to be young and free. Undo the locks and throw away the keys. And take off your shoes and socks and run you. La, 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 Give a little time for the child within you. Don't be afraid to be young and free. Undo the locks and throw away the keys and take off your shoes and socks and run Run through the bed and scare up the milking cows Run down the beach kicking clouds of sand Walk a windy weather day, feel your face blow away Stop and listen, love you